everyone to the Real Retro Smackdown review here on Rogue Opinions. My name is Cloud, and thank I want to send a thank you to Carl who joined me in the first two episodes. But as I said, we'll have a rotating guest. We'll have rotating guest through uh, the series from now on until Jimmy is able to come back. And uh, for this episode, I am joined by the other half of the unholy Alan. <laughs> Hello. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, a bit. You must feel very fortunate that this is the episode. This is one of the episodes that you got to talk about. Yeah, I do feel very fortunate. I'm very happy <laughs> to to talk about all the all the great things that happened, <laughs> such as Mark Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I think we can say about a lot of stuff here in '99, but this is one weird uh, episode of SmackDown. Uh, which we'll dive into in a minute. But I first talk about what happened on Raw, as we usually do. Now, obviously, it's the, the fallout from No Mercy as we're on the road now to Survivor Series. A few kind of things that don't really lead into SmackDown. First, uh, Kane and Xbox going to be back on the same page after that Four Corners match at No Mercy. Uh, they defeated the Dudley Boys, who also seem to have some stage feud with the Headbangers, which... I couldn't care less of it because, as I said before, I hate the headbangers. So, uh, KMX don't really make, don't really play a factor in this week's episode. They don't appear on SmackDown, so won't really talk that much about them. Uh, something, some good news as it looks like Mister Hughes is finally done. Uh, he, as you remember, on the last week's SmackDown, he somehow got given ownership of Howard Finkel by Chris Jericho, and then he took on the accolades in a, a poker game. And basically, he was a crap poker player to the point where he ran out of money and he bet Howard Finkel, who then basically became the property of the Acolytes. So, not, not the best of fortunes for Howard Finkel recently. He went from Jericho to Hughes and now the Acolytes. And if you're hoping for a long partnership, some funny vignettes of Howard Finkel with the Acolytes, well, it looks like that partnership's up already because the Acolytes took on the New Age Outlaws in a match that was only only really notable for the fact that the top rope broke like a minute into the match. Literally, like, really good. I think it takes a Irish whip, hits off the ropes, the top rope breaks. And Howard Fingal tries to help the Acolytes win by sliding a chain in, but the Outlaws get it first and ends up costing the Acolytes the victory. We see Howard Fingal getting yelled at by the Acolytes up backstage and, well, we haven't really got any resolution to what happened to Howard Finkel. I don't think it's ever been brought up again, so we can only assume that they killed him. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Something that I thought would have played a part in a part in this Smackdown was uh, the New Intercontinental Champion China came out on Raw to talk about her win. Uh, she came out with uh, Miss Katie, who's now watched herself onto China, and just came out dressed exactly like China, literally like a mini-me version of China. <laughs> Think of if there was a, if she was at a convention where there was a China look like contest, Miss Kitty would this looks like what Miss Kitty would wear to enter that contest is like her wig as well. Like she's her hair's maybe black now. She did not dye that. That is clearly a wig if ever I've seen one. Pretty much. I would rather like look at Miss Kitty than mm-hmm. China, to be fair. Yeah. So with Daryl Ola, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but not for too long because <laughs> we won't get into yeah. that 
uh, Tina comes and basically saying she's welcome to do a challenge from any man, and uh, she's confronted by Chris Jericho, who says basically he's embarrassed to see a woman holding the IC Championship somewhere while Venus takes notes for a future rant on Twitter. <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about Val Venus's uh, voice. <laughs> uh, basically, he's embarrassed to be a woman as the IC champion. He says that she's her ego is inflated as her implants, and she said he says that my mother said never to hit a woman, but you're clearly not a woman. And he goes to get in the ring and is hit by the the title belt from China, and that basically just ends the segment. Nothing. Jericho doesn't try and get back at China. Nothing happens. And it's weird that China's still coming out with Miss Kitty and the, as the next couple of weeks will show, she's basically done with Triple H and all that, and yet she's still coming out to Triple H's theme song. Yeah, I thought that was weird as well that she doesn't have her own one yet because her own music ends up being pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's a decent enough song for her and actually I was expecting like, the night after No Mercy that she would have gotten it already, but like, still she's not got it, but well, we'll wait and see when she finally gets it. Oh, uh, I bet you can't wait. Uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I wait with bated breath. <laughs> I look forward to it in the next few weeks to talking about this China Jericho program because uh, Jericho didn't have the nicest things to say about this in his uh, second book. Oh, really? What did yeah. he say about it? Uh, yeah. Now, bearing in mind this was written before she died, so he was kind of harsh on her. He said that at the time she was going to get a bit of an ego around herself and she was going out with Triple H in real life. So she was, he said that she kind of, even though she's like, oh, I'll fight any man after their matches, she basically complained to likes of Triple H and Vince that Jericho was too rough on her. And basically that then led people to kind of look down on Jericho, who they didn't really have the best reputation package being a guy who came in from WCW, but basically didn't like working with Jade. He wasn't really comfortable working with China in the first place because he didn't really he wasn't comfortable wrestling a woman and then there's the idea of like Chino keep complaining about him being too stiff oh well that's not very nice Chris you should be nicer to people yeah I think it got him a bit of heat like that even like the Triple H because Triple H was gaining a bit more influence at this time Uh, you know and also he he says that the feud with the programme with them they went on too long which uh, so we'll come to you in the next few months is correct because I think it does go on a bit too long. Yeah, it does seem to go on uh, a bit forever because I remember them. Don't they also have a match? Because in the timeline, Survivor Series is coming up. But don't they also have a match at Armageddon? Because I think and I've watched they, that pay per view before. And they also have a, a triple threat match at a Royal Rumble with uh, everybody's favourite hardcore Hollywood. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to hardcore fucking Holly. <laughs> uh, all the other stuff here, you can kind of bleed into what happens on SmackDown, but I'll talk about the major thing that happened on Raw because it'll be important to talk about before we get into the opening segment of SmackDown. Uh, as me and Carl talked about No Mercy, The Rock kind of got involved and almost inadvertently cost Austin the title against Triple H. And Rock opens the show basically saying that he wants Triple H at Survivor Series. So then Austin comes in and basically says, points out the rock, like, I'd be the one standing here with the title that you'd be challenging so I see if you hadn't come in and hit me with that sledgehammer. And then Vince basically comes out and basically in a long, blunt, drawn-out way, 
Uh, he basically comes out again. Sarah just comes in saying, well, you can both have Triple H. He basically says, let's see what Triple H thinks. Triple H comes out, gloats about his win, and then Vince just, and I'll run about what he says, by the way, you're fighting both of them at Survivor Series. So we've got a triple threat match at Survivor Series, The Rock versus Stone Cold versus Triple H. And, you know, card is definitely not subject to change. This match will definitely happen. Very we much. Because <laughs> they said it will. That's what has to. But The Rock was finished on that show because he, the Hollies went back to Vince and despite being this, the fucking idiots that they were and basically costing themselves the tie team titles uh, three days before they were going to get a shot at them, they basically say, we want a tag team title shot against The Rock and Sock and Vince grants it to them. The Rock doesn't really care about the match. She's basically indifferent to being the tag team champions along with Mankind. Something that will be a big thing over the next few months is Mankind's book that recently came out and he gives them a sign, Rock a sign copy and he signs it to the great one. And The Rock basically, all he cares about is like, where where, where did he start talking about The Rock? Uh, page 232, right? That's all I need to know. The Rock just wanted to know where he was in the book. And uh, Mankind goes to give him back Mr. Rocco, but uh, Rock just goes, rightfully just says, you keep it, because he doesn't want it after it's been in Balvinus' trunks for about a month. <laughs> uh, later on, we find Al Snow on the backstage, and he uh, he finds a copy of the book in the trash. It's the same one that uh, Mick gave to The Rock, because I was like, signed on the inside. And... Uh, I, Al has to kind of break the news to Mankind that it was found in the trash and this is a promo for Mankind that doesn't get talked about nearly enough when Mankind goes backstage and confronts The Rock uh, about this he properly rips into The Rock and finally like because Mankind's kind of just smiled and like let everything slide despite the fact The Rock's been a total dick to him their entire partnership and made it clear he doesn't want anything to do with him so Mankind just kind of just stops being the nice guy and just lays into him, saying, I give, I give, and you keep on taking. He calls him a self-centered son of a bitch. He calls him Dwayne at one point, and he finishes it by just saying to The Rock, you grow up. And Jeez. you're kind of like thinking, right, you're basically like thinking, like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good considering this entire story is just one really long advert for his book. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like there are times where you even forget like this basically all this is, is the advertising bit but you're just encrypting the story especially when he's giving he's cutting promos like that on the rock because i don't think we'd ever seen the rock properly like cut down to size like that by somebody on the microphone no it never ever used to happen still doesn't happen mm-hmm. it is very rare like that the rock's basically outclassed by somebody like vocally and I think that's why, again, this is, it should be talked about a lot more because Mick Foley is a lot better at promos than people give him credit for. Oh, definitely. Like When we get to this episode of SmackDown, like the promo he cuts to open the show mm-hmm. is like uh, gives you goosebumps, pretty mm-hmm. much. So definitely, um, I'll be sure to check that out yeah, after, yeah. After, we, after we've done this show so I can uh, hear what you're kind of talking about. But everyone else, go check out both of them. I think the one from Raw you've just described, and definitely, if you've not seen this episode of SmackDown and you're just listening to this, go give it a watch as well. Like he opens yeah. the show. Don't mm-hmm. watch the rest of it. Just, just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely would recommend. If you're going to check out anything from that episode of Raw, check out that promo from McFoley. And what's ironic is me and Carl were kind of joking about how The Rock comes out for his match at No Mercy 
without his tag belt, but Mankind comes in for his match with the tag title. But this time, The Rock comes out with his belt, but Mick Foley doesn't bring his out. In fact, Mick Foley doesn't even get involved in the match. He just sits very sadly on the steel step, doesn't even look at The Rock. He doesn't have his Mankind mask on, or he just basically leaves The Rock to get basically beaten down two-on-one by the Hollies. The Rock's got, like, tape around his ribs when he got attacked by Triple H with a sledgehammer the night before. So the Hollies are, are playing off that weakness, and basically it was really the only way they'd get, be able to beat The Rock by basically going after an injury and the fact that Mick's tag, his tag partner is refusing to tag in. Like, there's even a point where he thinks about it, like he slowly stands up from the steps, the fans are chanting Foley, and then they kind of all go silent when he sits back down again. And uh, Triple H has to get involved again, he hits a pedigree behind the rest back on The Rock. Uh, the Hollies get the pin, and the Crash and Hardcore Holly are your new tag team champions. Fucking hell. <laughs> which means, which is, I think, like, like I know, like me and Carol talked about, like it's still stupid that they helped Rock and Salt win the titles in the first place, and like, so I guess it doesn't really matter when they get the titles because like, it would have made a difference if they got them twenty four hours early at No Mercy. I think it's maybe a bigger deal for them to beat the Rock and Salt. And but when you really think about it, their whole title race basically used as a a vehicle to help tell the breakup of the Rock and Salt. Yeah, pretty much. And I think when we get into the the show as well, uh, I don't think like the two, the three big tag teams who are going to kind of go on to hold down the division, the Hardys, uh, E&C, and the Dudleys, like none of them have quite finished their ascent yet. Mm-hmm. So the tag team division just seemed kind of, across both shows that I watched, just kind of sparse yet. Cause, uh, other than the Hardy's doing some cool stuff in the second episode. Like none of them really just looked like they they were the full package yet. But that's not really going to happen till TLC, is it? Uh, yeah, no, okay. we got a glimpse of it at No Mercy in the in the tag team ladder match, but we're still a little bit away from that. Uh, what I didn't like though is at the ending of it, where basically Crowley comes out, he's gotten involved, he costs the rock the, the tail. So you're kind of further in two stories to lead up to the Survivor Series main event and the breakup of Rock and Salt. But then Austin comes out, he gets involved as a bit of a brawl between Rock, uh, Triple H and Austin, and Mankind kind of slips away as soon as the match is over, he wanders through the crowd backstage, and the Hollies kind of just disappear with their belts. Like It kind of annoys me a little bit that Austin had to even come out at all, because I thought the ending shot should have been all about Rock and Salt. And it's one of my, my main frustrations about Austin at this time, that even though he's he really needs to go away and like get healed up. He still has to like close the show every night and always have to be the one on top. Oh yeah, and definitely, and that is kind of seen again in SmackDown as well. Is that they need for some reason they just need to jam all these people onto the screen at the same time, like the entire. And I know they're building to a triple threat, but it's kind of it's kind of just a bit like there's so many brawls. <laughs> Like, and there's so many run-ins during these episodes of SmackDown. I know. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, there is a a match that I want to talk about before we begin, because both these guys involved in the match play a big part in SmackDown. Uh, Val Venus took on Al Snow, and I know that doesn't sound like a, a class match, but looking at the quality of TV matches you usually get, especially on Raw at this time, this was actually surprisingly good for what it was. 
like the commentators were even surprised by how good the match was. I think that's really telling about the time period we're in, and it's still very much all about the gimmicks and all the characters that you forget that the guys behind the gimmicks are actually really talented wrestlers. Yeah, especially Al Snow, like everyone. I think JR talks about Al Snow quite a lot uh, mm-hmm. in in kind of how good he is and how good of a teacher he is. And you also forget that Val Venus uh, was a C- CM- CMLL champion, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. Before he came to the WWF at mm-hmm. the time. Like, which I don't think to not be, uh, to not be kind of Mexican and be the CMLL champion. I don't think that really happened a lot. Mm-hmm. Before, before. Yeah, before like Val, before Val Venus and probably some others since then. I'm sorry, I don't know off the top of my head, but uh, like he's he still was uh, a really really talented guy, mm-hmm. even though he's super annoying <laughs> and, and a bit of a fuckwit. Like he, he he was clearly pretty good at what what he was doing, um, so I'm not really too surprised to hear that that was pretty good. And Al Snow, I think was he was just hilarious. Yeah, I've had one of my favourite things about match about certain matches that it's a small thing, but I really enjoy whenever I see it is when uh, he had the whole thing where people keep hitting roll ups and then somebody reverses into their own roll and they keep basically rolling about the ring, keep, keep constantly getting two counts. I actually quite like seeing that. Uh, Val, it's a, a really impressive wheelbarrow German suplex which uh, King says that's not the first time Val's been in that position. <laughs> There's so much of that throughout this show. We'll get to to, um, to King. One <laughs> <laughs> uh, noble thing as well, I see about the match, uh, Val obviously won with the money shot after uh, Val, after Arsenal missed a moonsault. Uh, but I always like to point out uh, signs when I see them, because there are always so many signs that it's sometimes hard to keep track of some of the best ones, but there was a sign someone had in the crowd that says, Val uses Viagra. <laughs> so I've just got it up here as well. Uh, before Val Venus, who was known as Steel, became CMLL champion, Norman Smiley was also champion in 1992. But other than that, like uh, those are the only two, up to that point, the only two non-Mexicans to be the champion. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's a lot more common nowadays, like especially like with AAA, I think more so. AAA, you can see a lot more non-Mexican people win semis. It's like uh, John Morrison, Jeff Jarrett, and Kenny Omega currently have all held like the top title there. So I think uh, more... uh, Mark Jindrak as well. Yeah, I heard he's a big deal. I think he was more of a tagging champion, but I've not really kept up with much of his stuff. Nice. There yeah. we go. Uh, we'll move into SmackDown now, and we've talked about it before, the uh, the promo from Mankind uh, at the start of the show. He comes out with his book, obviously. He's uh, talking about how it's like when he, the most, best thing he's probably done in his life, like more so than the Hell in a Cell, than the, more so than the death matches in Japan. Uh, he talks about how he feels, obviously, about The Rock and the way like The Rock kind of threw away his life's work that he gave to him as a gift. And... He thinks that people have forgotten who Mick Foley is. So he calls it Vince and basically says that he wants a chance to fight The Rock and a chance to take Rock's place in the triple threat match. And a very serious like day from Mick Foley, which The Rock basically responds to by basically being the same Rock he always is. Yeah, he was just kind of an arsehole. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, started talking. Basically, he was going to kick his ass. <laughs> being a bit, bit of a bit of a dick, and Vince. I thought Vince was pretty good at coming out as like the the boss who was stuck in the middle mm-hmm. kind of character because they were talking about Mick Foley's obviously accomplishments. So he was a three time champion at this point, and um, yeah, and gave him the match with the Rock yeah. and Mankind. You thought that was going to be your main event, but no, there was a bigger match. Oh yeah, <laughs> Rock basically does his, his typical the way he takes a fist at Mankind, but basically says, "Yeah, fine, I'll, I'll face you tonight." Vince is it's weird seeing him as the face kind of authority figure caught in the middle because he's already made the match for Survivor Series, so he doesn't technically want to change it. But he's if the Rock accepts, then fine, he'll, he'll let Mankind have his match. And uh, but the Rock points it to well, sorry, before we get to the next bit, Mankind kind of. It's kind of an insider thing, like, they're big from like I don't know how many people would have read it already. So, I think it was kind of an insider kind of thing for him, but he said, uh, I was right about what I said about you in my book. So, I think he's trying I think that was also another way of trying to get people to buy the book, like, oh, Mick Foley said some shit about The Rock in his book, go buy it now and read what he said. <laughs> he probably said the guy was a prick, he smashed me in the head with chairs too many times. <laughs> yeah, pretty, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what he actually said later on because Valvinus reads a little bit of it out on commentary later but The Rock rightfully kind of points out to Vince like how come I'm the only one in a triple threat wrestling tonight why isn't Austin wrestling tonight and before Vince can really answer that Valvinus comes out and basically wants the same thing that Val that Amankin's getting a chance to fight Austin and a chance to take his place at Survivor Series because I think he's kind of got a claim in that Mankind's getting the shot, but and Valvius did beat Mankind at uh, at No Mercy. But mind you, Mankind is fucking Mankind, and he's already he's a three time champion, so he's already got. I think he takes a bit of priority over Valvius. Yeah, I just don't get the thing with with Valvius is that what well, obviously he's very talented and he's got a good he's got a good look, but it's the thing where if they were going to try something serious with this guy. Why'd they make him a porn star? I don't know. Like, and that's no... He's a, he's, he's not a character that you can take seriously because he's portrayed as this guy who's a, literally a porn star. Like, his music to everything, <laughs> to the innuendos in his, like, uh, video on the... during his entrance on the big screen. It's not something that you're like, oh, here comes a real threat. I know, he thinks he maybe still called the money shot. Yeah, exactly. And the, so I feel like they kind of missed a trick there if they were trying to make the guy more more serious. Mm-hmm. By like not mixing up mixing up his whole character a little bit. And I know Val's probably one of the younger like guys they've got on the roster. Like they've, they're really going with this kind of almost like a youth movement in the, the company. You've got like of Hardys, Edge and Christian, all that, some like younger guys that they're trying to push. And Val keeps referring to himself as the fastest up-and-comer in the WAF. And I pointed it to you when we were talking about this the other day, like, stop calling yourself an up-and-comer. Like, I know you're younger than you look, but you look about 35. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't look like a, a particularly young guy. <laughs> like, but, uh, but, but yeah, and I presume Austin then accepts it by coming out and stunning him, doesn't he? Yeah, he pretty much like smacks him in the face and basically like already like makes him look like less of a threat before he even had the match. Yeah, but we'll get to that 
uh, Triple H is backstage basically like gloating about how happy he is that both these uh, points at Survivor are in matches and Al Snow comes up to him and, and he's interviewing and says are you wrestling tonight? Like, no I'm not wrestling tonight and, like, and, and Al Snow's kind of like oh let's, well technically yeah and then you come back from Beck and the way we find out that the title is on the line tonight is basically Triple H storms at Vince Dolphins and goes Al Snow? Really? Yeah, and it's exactly what you were just talking about with Austin, where it's like making them look less of a threat uh, <laughs> than than they are, and it's just kind of dumb because because it really takes away the the feeling that anything's going to happen because you're already like, well, Arsenal's not going to win. Probably just been portrayed as like this heel like champion who's always like escaping with belt. Like he's been more of a fighting champion than most faces are. Like, since the start of SmackDown, he's defended the title on TV against Kane, Bally Gunn, Vince McMahon, Gilberg. Uh, he's going to fight in Al Snow, I'm pretty sure. Like, and Al Snow is probably not the weirdest one that he's going to fight on TV. I think in future episodes of SmackDown, he's going to fight Takamichinoku for the title. Yeah, it's just a bit, it's a bit weird. It's kind of like, I don't think his character's fully uh, develop. Yeah, obviously he's not the cerebral assassin yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming JR's not coined that phrase yet. Uh, he, he, has, he has described him as very cerebral, but so I think they're testing out the catchphrase before officially like, giving him it. Yeah, so but I get I get what you mean, but I don't really like it when this is done by like main eventers and they do the promos where they're like, "Well, this guy's not a threat," because then you're just kind of like, "Well, why do I need to watch this match?" Like, you've just told me you're winning. Um, and maybe that's not always true. Well, I guess it's literally not true, because in the next episode, Jericho does it to Stevie Richards and then loses. <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> oh, spoilers. <laughs> but, but. Uh, like, the idea... I get what you mean about the way May of Earth, like, top down to, like, some lower card guys. Like, it kind of reminds me of a thing that happened in WCW. I think it's from, like, 99, 2000, something like that. But uh, Bret Hart's cutting a promo in WCW with Mean Gene, and he's fight, he he's going to fight a wrestler called El Dandy. And, oh, is, uh, this, uh, is this what Conrad Thompson tweeted the other day? I think so. I've not seen his Yeah, story, I watched this promo the like, other day as well. <laughs> and, and instead of like the wrestler being on to bury the guy, it's the interviewer that does it, because Mean Gene goes like, well, Dandy's a cruiserweight. Like, come on. Like, basically saying, like, why are you wasting your time with this guy? And Brett, stone-faced, as he usually is, because he's got very little expression in his face. <laughs> Even before the stroke, he's like, How, who are you to doubt El Dandy? <laughs> I remember um, when JBL was champion and he wanted to, uh, I can't remember who came out. I think The Undertaker came out to try and challenge JBL. And JBL like backed off by going, no, no, no. I was going to give Shannon Moore a title shot. He's a real life and comer. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's, really, he's really, really talented. He's getting the next shot <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> which I thought, which was really, really funny. Like the way that he did it, but... Um, yeah, I just found it a bit like. Also, it was it's in the middle of the show. Mm-hmm. Like, like the match is like, is it our, Is it the next match, or is there something else beforehand? Oh, there's something there, some stuff before this. But yeah, it's very like this and the Rock Mankind match are weirdly placed in the middle of the show. But Val Venus gets to be an event with Steve Austin. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think they knew? I've not really listened to it interviews at this point but did you want to talk about what happens to Austin at Survivor Series or are you leaving no. that? No I think we'll leave that till we get there. Okay that's fine. 
Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, I'm so You mean he takes <laughs> that fabulous triple threat match? Yeah, yeah. yeah talk about that fabulous. Yeah, well, you, well, it's, a four, that it's a 450. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spectacular. <laughs> Price is not going to be played enough. Exactly. No one talks about it. <laughs> Something, talking about that, I'm really thinking about that Bret Hart clip now. And my favourite, that was up there with my favourite Bret Hart lines in a promo. That, along with the thing where he said to Shawn Michaels in 87, you can talk down to me. <laughs> Don't you ever talk bad about The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so good <laughs> but, but the idea that, that we're basically being made to believe tonight is that the main event of Survivor Series could go from being uh, Triple H defending against Rock and Austin to being Al Snow defending against Mankind and Val Venus what a match that is what a, what a main event of Sunday Night Heat that is <laughs> and that's kind of downplaying Mankind but yeah, exactly. Well, Mankind was uh, would have turned that into a five-star classic. Yeah, probably would have. <laughs> oh, this is something I want to talk about, and we'll, we'll link it into what I've done raw now. Do you agree with what me and Carl said, Nathan, that Test, uh, Stephanie got hit with a bin by the Bulldog, so she forgot who Test was, and Test said he would never forgive the Bulldog. So does, does it make any logical sense to you that the Bulldog did not face Test at No Mercy and said fought The Rock over a title shot that, that the Bulldog was never going to get? That doesn't make sense, but this whole this whole thing was weird. <laughs> and, um, because Mostly because when we were on, like, the commentators mentioned it really quickly. Mm-hmm. So, like, Test and Bulldog... Uh, because it was a this was the six man tag, wasn't it? Yeah, but we're talking about what happened on Raw first. But so we saw about the storyline first. It doesn't thing. make sense, but they didn't really explain it very well on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. So I was still when when they were coming out for like I was, I was still like, what the fuck did they just say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, this is just so so weird. It felt really bizarre, but it's not the most bizarre storyline going on. So I guess I could compliment it on that. Uh, yeah. But that is that is weird to get hit with a bin and then forget who Test is. But it does explain why um, she ended up going off with another tall, long-haired, blonde man. <laughs> yeah, but, but so Test doesn't get his match at No Mercy. Bolo goes to, goes on a lose to the Rock in a very forgettable seven-minute match at No Mercy. So the next night on Raw. Test finally gets his match with a bulldog that he should have already got. And I started pissing myself laughing during Test's entrance as he comes out with a bin, which, okay, makes sense. He wants to beat Barry the bulldog and then hopefully make Bulldog forget about this terrible one he's had so far. But I was, I was pissing myself off because he came out with almost a comically sized bin. Like, it wasn't just a regular like, trash can. It was a massive, like, yeah. bin. And, like, like what, is, what even is the... It's like when um, Big Show had that giant chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just so strange. This whole thing is just, just weird, because then when Bulldog came out, like, I remember that Bulldog obviously came back and that he was um, less than spectacular. But <laughs> he, when he came out and then I just saw, was it the, the fucking posse 
or whatever yeah, they're called. Party. Yeah, I was just like, I don't remember any of this. This is terrible. Bulldog's music is terrible. His Doc Martens with his really high white socks and then jeans that make it look like he's pissed himself <laughs> are just terrible. And like, I don't mean to be horrible to the guy, but he looks like he's about to explode. Yeah, he looks like he looks like you, if you just poked him really hard, he'd start to deflate. He just really does. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not. It's not a great look. Um, and yeah, this whole thing was just a bit weird and uncomfortable but then edge and christian came out and i was like oh yeah yeah so uh, on raw yeah but they have this match it's a decent match for what it is i mean bulldog makes fucking test too he's a decent wrestler in his own right but it was he wasn't a spectacular wrestler but bulldog makes fucking test look like kenny omega in this match honestly <laughs> it, it looks like test has him with a pump handle slam and i remember seeing bulldog clips of bulldog with main street posse I kind of forgot about it. I'm like, I kind of bought into it, like, well, finally, Tess is going to get his revenge. But he goes up top for the elbow, and then the Mean Street Posse come out and beat him down. And then Bulldog picks up the massive bin and just starts whacking Tess with it before finishing with SLM. So, yeah, that continued on here, where it was maybe another singles match. Because they didn't announce it as a six man, they just said it was going to be Bulldog v Test again. Yeah. But he just so happened to have the Posse with him. And uh, tested. I knew you'd come out with them, so I brought back up on my own. And Edge and Christian come out, and then they all start fighting the ring, and then the bell just rings, and we're just told, "Oh yeah, this is the sixth man now." <laughs> yeah, and it was. Uh, I thought this was pretty good. Uh, this was quite a good TV match. Like obviously mm-hmm. you got you got Edge, Christian, Bulldog, and uh, and Test. And I know this this whole era of Bulldog isn't great, but he's still the British Bulldog, and. Um, so I thought this was pretty good. Like, that's not me being horrible to the Mean Street Posse. I know they weren't really trained. They were just mates of Shane. Mm-hmm. But I quite enjoyed this match. Yeah. He... It was like two minutes long. Pretty but... much. Like, both matches on TV usually are. But the thing with Adrian Grace is you can tell like how how much good the ladder match has done for them because they got a really good reaction when their music hit. Oh, yeah, and they were hitting all their greatest like what would go on to be their greatest hits like i think christian did he hit a tornado reverse ddt at one point something like that there's a move that edge and christian do here which they used to do a lot during this time but then they stopped doing uh, i think i really really glad that they didn't do it anymore because it, it looks like one of the stupidest tag moves i've ever seen so christian hits a suplex off the top to win the mean street posse but he doesn't just do a regular suplex no he sits on edges and does oh, the suplex yeah. So it's maybe, oh, he takes it, he's, it's more of an impact on the opponent because he's up high. Like, yes, but now both you and your tag partner have taken on a, a useless backbone that you really did not need to take. Which it's what would go on to be known as the Tower of Doom, wouldn't it? Something like that. Like, where you're in, like, you're, you're in a triple threat and someone's going for a superplex and then the third person comes along and power bombs the person doing the superplex whilst they do the superplex. <laughs> yeah, like... It makes sense in that one type, but this just looks like Edge is finally attacking Christian, getting him an electric chair. It was weird um, seeing because Edge hit his spear at one point, mm-hmm. like and it looked as shit as it always does. <laughs> <laughs> like, or he hit his running cuddle, but <laughs> I kind of popped for it when he did it because I was like, oh, <laughs> like he's been doing it for so long, I didn't even realise. Like, <laughs> I didn't know how long he'd actually been hitting the spear because I thought it was like a 
um, early 2000s thing, like 2003, four, where he actually started doing it. Because he never really, until the spear, actually had a finisher. Mm-hmm. Like, so he did the downward spiral for a little bit, and um, he would do that weird converted sharpshooter thing. Mm-hmm. Like, he never really had a proper one. But then when I saw him hit the spear after, as Test was pinning, whoever he was pinning, I was like, wow, God, Edge! <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was weird was, I didn't, I couldn't tell who they were meant to be six-man tagging against because Bulldog basically, main reason he's got the posse is that he can't really do long matches without getting blown up anymore. And also, so it, was, it turned out to be Bulldog and two members of the posse against Edge and Christian and Test. But the third member of Main Street Posse keeps interfering so, I could, so for a second I thought, are they fighting just Main Street Boston and Bulldogs on the outside? Because Bulldog just sits on the apron and barely does anything. He just basically lets the, bull, the Main Street Posse get battered while he just stands there. Yeah, and uh, like I think in this entire storyline, I kind of forgot what this storyline was. Because there's one moment from this storyline that always gets replayed that I won't mention because you'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally on the next uh, coming up episode uh, when you talk about Raw, but... I didn't really realise that's what the storyline was. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's why why it happened. But uh or that Bulldog was even involved. Yeah. But uh no, I thought this was fun. Bulldog is kinda you just kinda gotta think about kind of his earlier work when you look at this run. Because mm-hmm. it's a little bit it's not sad, that's a bit unfair and a bit strong. But he's not the bulldog that we know and love. Yeah. He, as I said, this, a lot of this run will definitely not be included in his Hall of Fame package. No, no. <laughs> I, can't, I don't think they're going to talk about the time he smashed the boss's daughter in the face with a bin. <laughs> <laughs> so they hit the weird suplex thing, and then Tess comes off with a really, well, it's an elbow drop off, and they get the win. What I really liked is because also you, when you think of the Mean Street Posse, they come out with those weird like sweaters and uh, they don't really wrestle in traditional wrestling gear. And uh, the one fan of Mean Street Posse in the crowd with a sign saying, real oh, men wear yeah. vests. I saw that and uh, I, props to Jerry Lawler for picking up on this because he would go on to mention it loads. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, he obviously saw it. There were some cracking signs though. Um, mm. The two that I've noted down are in on in this episode, but you got to appreciate some of the size. Some of them are really horrible. So you got to kind of mm-hmm. take your 2020 eyes off. <laughs> There's some cracking ones. Yeah. Uh, arriving at the arena dressed in all black, like something out of the matrix. <laughs> well, it's the bin bag. Yeah, speak of giant bins. <laughs> like, we found a giant bag that's meant to go in it. <laughs> like, do you think that was leather or do you think it was all uh, pleather? That plastic stuff. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I think you you were watching this episode of Madden and you basically messaged me saying, oh God, this storyline, I think I instantly knew what you were talking about. Cause, yeah, it's uh, not great. <laughs> we'll talk about what I've done wrong. Because a, a week or so ago, we found out that the Big Show's dad is apparently dying of a terminal cancer. And the boss, uh, Big Show is very sad about that. And the boss man yeah. is very not not sympathetic about that yeah so just a quick is... just a quick disclaimer like your podcast app hasn't skipped to a different show this is still wwf smackdown mm-hmm. <laughs> like that we're talking about so just just in case you thought what the fuck am i listening to who's got terminal cancer 
<laughs> this is a wrestling story. It has been Carl Stretch and episode of SmackDown. We did a uh, big show with Dad had died like years before this, so they weren't like talking about a real illness and making a storyline of it. His dad had died some years earlier. Yeah. So and, uh, a big sh- now Big Show went. How can I profit of this? <laughs> I very I would very much be surprised if Big Show had any involvement in coming up with a fucking storyline. <laughs> it's just Jesus. <laughs> but the boss man comes out. He basically he comes out on Raw and he says to Big Show, he, he doesn't care about his problems. We all got problems. I don't need to cry about it. And he challenges him to a match later on for the hardcore title. Uh, Big Show would accept, but later on when Bossman comes out for the match, we cut backstage to a police officer basically telling the Big Show that uh, his father had unfortunately passed away. And Big Show, as we said before, he's very good at crying on cue, you know. And, like, what I'm, what I'm confused is, why would this ran- why of all people yeah. would this random police officer be the one to tell you? Yeah, what did your dad, like, what is, would Big Show's first question not be, okay, I get my dad's just died but why were the police there to find out did we just find out that like, his dad's a massive mob boss or something uh, <laughs> like what why did this police officer know why did the hospital let him know who is he <laughs> like, i uh, even try, i even tried to google and find out who this guy was but i couldn't find it anywhere yeah so bossman very unsympathetically just decides when, when i come back to the arena basically forces the referee and the ring to basically declare him the winner by forfeit and Someone we really discover in the storyline is the limits of Jerry Lawler and that he will often defend the most deplorable heels, but basically he, he even he has to like call it the boss man for being an arsehole in this storyline, and which is which is really good to where we find it where Jerry's limits are, especially when we talk about a match later on. <laughs> We've all got to draw our lines somewhere. <laughs> like, it's good to know that his is making fun of dead people. <laughs> and this is the man who won't condone a storyline where a guy is told that his father's dead despite the fact he won't he still went for years wouldn't take credit for his own son because he, he didn't want people to believe he was that old enough to have a son like at the age of Brian Christopher yeah that, that is always the weird thing where it's like oh he didn't want people to know how old he was like why does it matter, Jerry? People aren't going to be sat there knowing they've watched you for 30 years and go, oh, he must be like 32. <laughs> <laughs> like, people aren't that dumb. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, do you know what I think it was? Mm. I reckon, because he's obviously, he's he's trying to court Miss Kitty at this point. Yeah. Like he's trying to woo her. I reckon he told her that he's like 40. Mm-hmm. Not in storyline, I think in real life. And she's so dumb that she believed him. And now he's got to keep Brian Christopher away from her. <laughs> so that that's why. I've worked it out. There we go. We've cracked it. Uh, <laughs> uh, later on, before the show goes off air, like before the main event overall, our old pal GTV reveals that this... Uh, this officer was really paid off by the boss man to tell Big Show that his dad was dead when his father wasn't actually dead yet and they basically laugh at Big Show for crying at the news that his dad died. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is... Oh, we can't even blame Russo. I know. I mean, 
Yeah, like I don't know what else I can really say about that. Yeah, Big Show's here, and basically Big Show reveals an interview that he's barely there for one reason, and that's to kill the boss man. Yeah, this is this is just shit, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's just pure shit, and it's only going to get shitter. Yeah, this isn't great. It get no. It, it that this this storyline. It's really lauded. Mm-hmm. I remember when Bossman went in the Hall of Fame. This is all people wanted to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> like they still, they still play that a clip that is coming up later in the angle involving Big Show's dad's coffin. Like the players, like, oh my god, can you believe that happened? Like, yes, over you, you take that clip in isolation and play that, but you will not talk about the fact that he tried to, he tell, he lied to him that his dad dying earlier on in the storyline. <laughs> yeah, that's the bit they won't tell him about. Not the fact that Bossman is stealing a corpse on TV. <laughs> They're like, no, that's one of the best moments in Attitude Era history. There are people out there that lord the Attitude Era and say, we want the Attitude Era back. And you don't want all of it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want people stealing fucking corpses. <laughs> no, you don't. You really, really don't. It's not good. Um, this sucks. <laughs> uh, Al Snow is interviewed about getting a title shot against Triple H when uh, Triple H jumps him from behind, which then takes us into the match for the WF Championship between Al Snow and Triple H, which Again, it was really weird when I realised that was next because, like, it was like there's been like one other match on the show that up to this point. So like, Triple H going on very early in the show, like barely near the end of the first hour, and I think they were trying. They did their best on commentary to make Al Snow seem credible because, like, they say like, "Oh, why would Triple H want to attack Al Snow and weaken Al Snow if Al Snow is so beneath him?" And they try and imply that Triple H actually thinks deep down that Al Snow has a chance, but I don't think the crowd. Felt like Al Snow had a chance. Yeah, I think this was kind of weird, but then I kind of thought about it. How upset people get these days in uh, when like title matches and stuff aren't the main event of pay per views. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, that's not a, um, it's not a new thing. But it was a bit weird considering they're probably still at the point where they're trying to build Triple H into what he's going to become. Mm-hmm. So it seems kind of weird to put him up against like. Uh, a guy who literally has Job Squad written on his gear. And, um, and then also put that guy in the middle of the card instead of just giving Triple H like badass matches. Yeah, I think it makes more sense for it being on my card given that it is Al Snow. And I think what they're trying to do is make, make it seem like, oh, like that we've got such a stacked show that we don't, that the WF title is going on in the middle of the show. Like, yeah, that's not because of the other matches, because someone decides that someone still has to decide what goes on last. Yeah, I just feel like the title should probably always go on go on last. But mm-hmm. um I mean and didn't Triple H come out first? I think he did. Oh god, he's getting he's getting bumped for Al Snow. <laughs> okay. But this match well, was we talked Al about Snow. how good Al Snow Al Snow is. <laughs> like and how his matches aren't that bad. This was this was a pretty good match. Of course, yeah, I think you could, I don't think Triple H could have done more to make Al Snow look credible than he did here. Like he basically gives him all that he can. He he, try, he gets a jump on him to start, but Al Snow gets quite a bit of offense. And even though the match, I think even I think even t- I don't think ten minutes is it goes. I think it goes just over five or something like that. Even though it's a WWE title match, but you, I don't think 
I don't really know if they care about believability, but believability-wise, I don't think it should have went that long, given it's Al Snow and like Triple H is being basically competing against like the likes of The Rock, Austin, and people like that. Yeah, I think it goes back to something that we talked about on a previous podcast, and uh, I think when we were talking about the women's division these days, about how there's not many believable people against like the four horsewomen, basically. But I think this is some, one of the big strengths of the Attitude Era is that the crowd at no point kind of they weren't chanting boring. They were super invested into it. So that they obviously must have believed that Al Snow was credible. Mm-hmm. Whereas looking at it now as someone who wasn't watching at the time, I think Al Snow, I think, oh, uh, jobber, job squad kind of guy. But the crowd was super into this and they obviously believed that Al Snow had a chance to win this. So they were obviously doing something right with the guy uh, who seemed to be, he's he's a, he's a big part of the show. He's kind of like, he's kind of like a comedy character, but he was a big part of this episode. He was a big part of the next episode that we're going to be doing as well. Mm-hmm. So he, they were obviously doing something right, booking-wise. Yeah, I think because the way we always like to say the idea of anything can happen, that's why they like putting people like Al Snow in this position. But I think people would believe it more if it, the table wasn't on the line because like, they do like the sports, like the, the constant roll-ups from Al Snow. And you think like somehow like if he manages to get him down for, for three seconds, he can get it done. And like, it looked like he could have got it done, but he, he set up for the Snowplow's finisher, which of which then countered into the pit. And like, Triple H, it's weird that Triple H hits, hits the less, less offense than Al Snow in this match, but basically... Again, they're trying to get all the whole cerebral thing, so he just finds an open, hits his finisher, which is still very protected at this point, and would be for quite a long time, and just puts Alston away. Yeah, I think this was a, a good match. Uh, probably uh, probably the best match on the show. I think it's up there. Fair enough to Alston again, like we said, I think he and, Al- and Val, I don't know if this was intentional because of what they were, what they were going to be doing on SmackDown, because I don't know how, like, because I feel like often out there waiting week to week with some things, but I, I like to think that maybe this match with Alston and Salvinus on Raw was as good as it was to kind of give some, both guys some credibility and ring before they were put in these positions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, ho- hopefully, anyway, because it does it does go on, as I say, like, in the next, I don't know what happens on the next Raw, but on the SmackDown coming up, they're still involved in quite a big way on the show. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously doesn't seem like it's going to be a one and done. Uh-huh. Uh, so, well, uh, The Rock versus Mankind comes on like literally just after like Triple H wins the cut to commercial, and literally when they come back, Rock's music. There's no like backstage segments. There's nothing to break up. And, like, like literally go straight into this match, which order order wise on the card, it's really weird because you would have thought they would have put like one of the war card matches like. The, maybe the sixth man or one of the tie matches that's coming up later on in between because you can't go straight from the WF title to the Rock v Mankind. Yeah, that is strange, and I don't know whether they were they were obviously probably looking at what Nitro had going on at this. Oh no, this is SmackDown, not Raw. What am I talking about? And um, uh, I don't, I don't know. Then I don't really have a reason off the top of my head. If they would have done this in this, like. Cause it can't even really have anything to do with what happens in the main event either. Mm-hmm. 
The only thing I could think of, just uh, trying to play devil's advocate, maybe look at what they were thinking, is maybe they didn't want people to think they were changing too much of the main event. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they wanted two to be out of the way so that you thought, well, something's going to happen in the third. They're not going to set this up and then not make changes. Maybe something's going to happen that's going to affect what's happening at Survivor Series. So they're like, two are done. So surely in the third, something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's their thinking. But you're right. It is weird, especially to have the title match being the first one. Yeah, it's weird. And uh, the thing with you said about WCW, I don't, I don't think that will play a factor because uh, it's been like lauded that Matt Down was really did have that much competition with Thunder. Like Thunder did okay when it started, but as soon as Matt Down came along, it pretty much out outrated outdrew it ratings wise from the offset. And well, Thunder shit. Yeah, and especially now WCW is in the state that it's currently in the late night and will continue to go on to as it further falls downhill and in the 2000s so I don't think that was any like I kept I struggled for ages when we did the first episode of this uh, with me and Jimmy and I'll look, I'll look up the other ratings for Thunder and Smackdown everybody can read them out and then I looked up after ages of looking for them I looked them up and I realised like Jesus the difference wise is so big it doesn't even worth it's not even worth reading them out yeah I'm sure whatever Smackdown was drawing back in 1999 would just make make people cry if they looked at what SmackDown's drawing these days, uh-huh. uh, on it on its best night, obviously ratings are a bit tricky at the minute because everyone's at home, which is where you should be if you're listening to this. Uh, I thought you were. I, I thought you were talking to me like where you should be. Like where do you think I am? <laughs> Sat in the middle of Glasgow, just dreaming. Remember, <laughs> uh, we, we could be in a crowd. That was that was fun. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> uh, but for the Rock v. Mankind, I didn't really think I expected more from it. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of just felt like Mankind was just beating the shit out of the Rock. <laughs> yeah, just like after what happened on Raw with the, the tie title match and the promo that Mankind cut on Rock. Oh, this is where, um, sorry, we forgot, forgot to say Val Venus is on commentary. Yeah. So like you'd expect more from it, but The Rock before the match cuts one of these promos talking about pie, which is something about The Rock's kind of... There's one thing about The Rock I've never really got. I really like The Rock, uh, and he can usually like turn like everything that he says into like something gold, but the pie thing was just something I never got on board with. Like, I just didn't get it. I didn't get why everybody like faults for it all the time. The people's pie. That's what mankind was going to get. <laughs> It was just, yeah, it was just the, he just kind of got on the turnbuckle during his entrance and it was like, oh, I love, The Rock loves all sorts of pies, like apple pie. Uh, and then he was, obviously, he had to get in the poontang pie. A mm. uh, l- little bit, a little bit of blue for the dads. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then he was like, but mankind's going to get the people's pie. You're like, well, what, what is the people's pie? What know. would your, if you, the people's pie is presumably the best pie. So what would the people's pie be for you? What's your favourite pie? I don't really have one. You're not, you're not a pastry boy? Oh, well, well, yeah, but I'm not really a pie guy. I don't know. I think, it's something The Rock, uh, like, The Rock can just say anything. Like, this isn't just anything. Like, you see m and the promos, like, 
This isn't. This is the people's food. It's the people's food. It's overpriced and it's shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's just weird. Like earlier on, he was talking. He was commenting like mankind is on a base testicles. Like these aren't just any ordinary testicles. Oh yeah, they're the people's. The people. <laughs> but you can't just let the people into things and pass that off as part of. It's also weird because is he inviting people to have his testicles? I don't know. Like he's just saying, "Hey guys, these are a public utility." <laughs> it's like your taxes pay for them, so <laughs> they're, they're yours as well. But uh, happy birthday to the Rock at time of recording, by the way. Oh yeah, we're recording this on the Rock's birthday, and we're basically taking the piss out of him. Yeah, we love you now, but you were shit back then. <laughs> uh, no, the pe- the people loved it. I didn't really. I found it funny, but it sometimes because the Rock was a bit of a comedy character, it didn't really. Sometimes he didn't really fit the mood of a story for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so him kind of not taking mankind. He's basically he's not taking mankind very seriously. Which maybe that is the story that they're trying to tell. And then just having, and having the Rock v. Mankind, that's not enough for you guys. You need more. So here's Val Venus on commentary reading a book. I know. <laughs> um, Storytelling with Val. Yeah. Like, I, I don't get why they had to have him earlier because, like, like, you expect more from this match, but, like, you're, you're struggling to figure out what the fuck the Rock's on about when he talks about pie. And then you've got Val Venus in your ear reading passages of Mankind's book. While, as you said, Mankind basically beats the shit out of the rock. Like, he rips his, the tape off his ribs. He starts battering and They go around, like, around ringside. The rock gets to place on the ramp at one point. And Val basically reads about a time where in 96, basically, Mankind probably says that the WWE should cut their losses and let the rock go. Yeah, which I think most people, like, is anyone going to disagree with that, obviously, luckily, like, JR and the WWF saw more in Rocky Maivia than the people did. But, like, they're talking about that like it was, wasn't was an unbelievable thing to say in 1996 or whenever it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. you might, have you seen the Rocky Maivia stuff? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Like, how it's, it's bad, right? <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Like, his finish is a, a shoulder breaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't great, but look at whatever happened to the guy. Who knows? But like, he also reads the thing where Val, uh, Val reads a passage where Mankind talks about when Rock kind of starts like, getting better and then getting more of where and basically says that the people's elbow is the stupidest move that he's ever seen. Um, again, I love it, but he's not wrong. He <laughs> yeah, basically says that the Rock's got two good moves. Now, like, I know The Rock came back and slagged John Cena uh, for basically basically everything about him. And Cena's moaned out for only having a few moves, but, like, The Rock, in some aspects, has only had a few moves. Yeah, I think he's he's a very... He's obviously an incredible athlete, and he can do a lot of stuff. But he was kind of one of those... In the Hulk Hogan vein, he could, he could sell his ass off, take a hell of a beating... And then just had a good comeback of things that he did exceptionally well. Yeah. And sometimes maybe you just need to stick to what you know. Uh, yeah. Because 
well, we don't need to get into the John Cena conversation because um, he's not on this show, luckily. But yeah, uh, that's that's probably a bit mean considering a lot of mankind's or Mick Foley's greatest moments are him getting battered. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, he's a little bit hypocritical, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to like overly compare the Rock to Cena because the Rock uh, sometimes I think doesn't get credit for you know, some of the matches that he said. But like you said, when you think of the Rock, there are certain moves that you think of, and I think it's because he did them so. And I want to talk about the finish of this match because this annoys me. Yeah, uh, I've got this is down as well. <laughs> I think so Wells on the end. I did like the way he, said, he, he did this. Like he gets up and goes, you know what? This book sucks, and then he smacks mankind when mankind comes near the commentary desk. Now, where it's basically implied that, oh yeah, so far when they lead into the main event, so far the match is basically still the same as it was before. Like, no, Val hit mankind, so mankind takes one by DQ. Mankind was looking for an opportunity to get in the triple threat. So technically, mankind should be in the triple threat now that he, since he won by DQ. Yeah, I didn't get. This happened a couple of times in these uh, in the episodes that I've watched, where you're just like, "Well, that's a DQ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this match is done." Um, I still just I because I don't have context for the time and I'm not watching at the time. I just can't buy Val Venus being involved in this. Trust me, trust me, watching it in context doesn't help because I've been watching for a few <laughs> weeks now and I still don't buy it. Yeah, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't. And this kind of, I was expecting more from this match because I was like, oh, cool, I'm getting the Rock v. Mankind. This is going to be amazing. And it kind of just wasn't. And it had Val, a stupid ending. Val is like a couple of different characters in this, in this roster at the time where if you were playing like the, the video games at the time, and you had like the story control like the story mode, you would like make them the champion just like for the fun of it because you can do what you want and it's cool in the game. But then you watch them getting in that scene in real life and you realize that it actually would not work. No, and it doesn't. Like, I'm not say- saying they shouldn't have tried, and obviously, mm-hmm. he was worth giving a try to because the guy seemingly had everything. But I think maybe giving him that bloody porn star gimmick to start off with. It was just a massive misstep to ever getting the guy to be the level of The Rock, Triple H, Austin, Mankind, which is the company that he's in. Mm-hmm. Like that's some that's some lofty that's some lofty goals you've got for a porn star. <laughs> like, yeah, he just, definitely stands it, out amongst them. Yeah, it's it's that thing where it's like one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, um, definitely. It's the porn star. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. It's not the guy in the weird leather mask. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, w- did you like this match or did you expect more from it? Or did you kind of know what to expect because you knew it was a TV match? Uh, a mixture of some of those because like, I was expecting more from the match, although there were some good stuff, especially when they made a brawl like, near the barricade and then I liked how basically I for- didn't realise that Mankin would get as much offense as he did and... Uh, I liked Man- uh, basically Balvinus was basically I think he was implying that he was trying to stir the shit between the Rock and Mankind, but like, you know, the shit's already been stirred, they're already having a match. What is you what are you coming out on commentary when the guy people we can eat at home can hear you, but the guy's wrestling can't hear you and you're just reading the book, like so I don't I didn't get the point of him being out there 
if he wanted to like toss mankind the match or attack mankind, he could just run out when he when it was his time to. I don't get why he had to be there for the whole match. Yeah, the other thing is that he knows he's got Steve Austin later. Like mm-hmm. in the main event, the biggest star in the company and the biggest star in wrestling at that time. He's got him in the main event of this show. And we're like, what is it? We're like 55 minutes to an hour into the show. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be facing him in like 15 minutes. And he's like, nope, going to go on commentary and read a couple chapters of this book, not in my gear. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I'm in the, like, it's almost, they're giving him, they're trying to push the guy, but at the same time, they're also putting him in nearly every major segment of a show. So it's kind of like, okay, we've already seen him. How are we meant to react to this guy? This is the this is the second time we've seen him make an entrance, and we've got one more time where we got to hear that music and see him come to the ring. Mm-hmm. And this show's only two hours with commercials, an hour and a half for us. And I was like, Jesus, Val Venus is everywhere. It's too much. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, too much, um, like especially like attacking somebody and costing them a match during the show when you've still got a match to come. You're basically like Val has, he's opened himself up to again having that person come in and costing him his match later on. Yeah, and I, I know that he's obviously super, super confident that he's going to beat Stone Cold Steve Austin later. So maybe he's not bothered, but it's just a bit, it's just a bit much. Why not just, in in hindsight, why not have the guy make the challenge to open the show, not appear for the rest of the show, and then have a badass match in the main event? Surely mm-hmm. he's going to get more from that. But they were obviously also using this as a chance to try and flog Mick Foley's book. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's it's just very weird, like because this book isn't written in the Mankind character. No, it's kind of weird the way they advertise it because mm-hmm. it's not written in quote unquote in kayfabe. Yeah, well, I think they've already acknowledged that Mick Foley is it is Mick Foley being Mankind. Captain Jack and Dude Love because he's he had a period where he kept going between the three and they basically accepted that it's just one guy that has these alter egos so I think people already know he's, he's not Mankind he's Mick Foley I think him plugging this book isn't really too far-fetched at this time yeah but I mean it advanced the story of Mick, Mick Foley and The Rock mm-hmm. quite well but the ending as you said the ending's just it's just a bit of it's very flat. Uh, we expected more from Mankind v Rock, but this next match, I expected so little and yet got even less. <sighs> we have the fabulous Villa defending her WAF Women's Championship against Mae Young. And I bet you're all wondering, how the hell did this match come about? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> and we get a recap of what happened on Raw, thanks to Lugs' Boot of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> a weird way to advertise your product because especially given the segment that it played there was no boots of any kind no one got kicked or anything <laughs> yeah this was um, uh, what came after it uh, what do you mean like in the show like <laughs> I just don't want to talk about it <laughs> we'll talk about it quickly we'll talk about it quickly because uh, what happened on Roy Basically, Mae Young keeps interrupting Miller uh, during her interview and basically saying, oh, a 70-year-old woman is the way champion and Miller tries to say she's not 70, but I feel like she actually was. Uh, 
Mae Young says that you wouldn't have won that without me. I want a title shot. And Miller says, like, can you hold this? And hands the title belt to Michael Cole, who's doing an interview. And then just smacks Mae Young across the face. Which is really, if, really ungrateful. Well, any fans these days who look at the women's division of now and go oh god i'm so tired of seeing like all the charlottes the beckys sashes baileys all of them all over all over the women's division like go back and watch who was top in 1999 <laughs> like you had the fabulous moolah who are, are we allowed to kind of call a a slave driver well, I call her the fabulous human trafficker in our No Mercy review, so yeah, oh, no need thank, thank God, thank, thank God. I don't want to get bleeped. And <laughs> um, yeah, and 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 bless May Young, who obviously is having the time of her life, and I've heard loads of people like uh, Bubba Ray Dudley or Bully Ray talk about how wonderful to work with she was. So fair, but come on, <laughs> you got Jacqueline, you got Ivory, you got Tori, who's not Tori Wilson. You got Terry Runnels. I don't know if you can wrestle. I can't. <laughs> okay. All right. Like you've got you got people there who could actually put on some decent matches, <laughs> but you go with you go with the fabulous move. You go with a main event from 1962. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just a little bit weird. Like the match was, um, it happened. Like you can barely pay attention to what's going on around because of the amount of old jokes that uh, Mick, uh, that the king's saying, like asking if the match has been in slow motion. He, he says Miller's not used to having enemies, and she's outlived them all. <laughs> that was really funny, to be honest. I did laugh at that one. <laughs> she's not got any enemies because she's outlived them all. Like, um, but the cheek, of the, the cheek of the king to say how cool people old. He's got his arsehole with a son coming up at some point. Like the character, I'm sure the guy was fine. I mean, yeah. so maybe, uh, more so in the years preceding this, but like, often like to say that, oh, WCR was the home of the old guys, when most of them were a bit just, just older or just were in the same age as guys like Bobby Roode and AJ Styles are now. Or like, but like, at the same time, they're bringing it Millie and Mae Young, who are older than the majority of the people that they like for being old on WCW. Older than the majority of them combined. Like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I guess they could call it the home of the old guys because WCW didn't actually have a women's division. So at least the WWF could say that. Oh, yeah. Like, they, are, they're, they're equal opportunities for old people in the WWF. Yeah, exactly. You could have the Moolah and Mae Young and then also have christian who was about 16 <laughs> like at this point and uh this is this was weird i was really happy when ivory came out and like just ended it like before i ended myself watching it like before that middle like me young puts her arm around the referee's shirt like down his shirt so when she takes a bump he does as well and like i i Part of me doesn't even think, like, I can't think of any logical reason this would be a spot for what they were going for. I think Miller just, May Young just got confused and just started feeling up the ref, forgetting that she still had a match to even do. I thought that's what, I thought they missed, like, they missed a spot where her arm was meant to get caught in there. So she was just like, I'm just going to look like I'm grabbing his cock. Yeah, because, <laughs> like, because <laughs> it didn't get caught, she literally just stuffed it, like, her arm down his shirt. And, yeah, like, Ivory comes out. 
and then for some reason the rest of the women's division comes out like uh, Jacqueline Tory, uh, Luna Vachon comes out and basically there's this weird brawl and like I don't know what, it, what else to say like I'm just glad it was over yeah, it made me very thankful for Stephanie McMahon creating women's wrestling in like yeah. 20 years after this. And um, yeah, it sometimes you look back at wrestling and just go, oh, how did they get away with this? And yeah. I think this perhaps was one of those moments where I was just like, oh, like, and there was a few watching the Attitude Era. There always is where you're just glad things have moved on to where we are now. Mm hmm. So, but maybe, as you say, let's not edit out the past and mm -hmm. let's just look and go, thank God we're not there anymore. Thank God we've got Lacey Evans now. <laughs> uh, uh, truly the ivory of today. <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> uh, if you want a, a drastic shift to move on from old people fighting, Let's check in with Mark Henry's therapy for his sexual addiction. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Speaking of things that should be left in the past. Uh, on Raw, we had a weird thing where Mark Henry was on to his fourth therapist. It was a, an older white woman who, I would say mid-50s or something like that, and early 60s maybe at a push. But basically, she was talking to me like, like, have you ever... You struggle to have a, a relationship with a woman that's not sexual, and like she's trying to help him. She doesn't look like she's going to help him more so than the other therapists. And she says, like, let's just try a, a consensual, like, non, nothing sexual, just a hug. So he goes in and hugs the woman. And the woman, it's basically implied the woman cannot resist sexual chocolate. She just basically falls on top of him and tries to mount him. And Mark Henry, which, a line which in a couple of months, one, you know, clearly changes soon, very soon, he goes, you're old enough to be a mother, I don't go for that. Like, in a couple of months, you fucking will. <laughs> in a couple of months, you're going to fuck an old woman so hard she gives birth to her hand. I, can't believe, <laughs> I don't even know how that's possible, but it's going to happen. <laughs> so, he's on to his fifth therapist, Martin Henry, and who should it be but your pal and mine, the Godfather? <laughs> uh, I, I know that this this gimmick is very problematic, but I love The Godfather. I think he's oh. hilarious. I think it's just so like I, I can I can manage to separate how tasteless the way that they talk about the women is, which obviously I don't agree with, to just how much fun and stupid the character is. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think like uh, the guy was ridiculously over as this character. Like, I'm glad. Papa Shango wasn't the end of the wasn't the end of uh, I can't remember the guy's name now off the top of my head, but um, that's right. That's it. I'm glad that wasn't the end. Or Kurt was it? Um, what was his character in the Nation of Domination called? Uh, uh, Karma. That's it, Karma. And uh, so, and I think the Godfather is just slightly just crazy amounts of fun, but obviously, disclaimer: I don't necessarily agree with them calling all women hoes. Not just not all of them, just the ones that hang around with Godfather. Well, some some of them, I don't know. Some of them maybe they want to be called hoes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, so Godfather's there, and basically the Godfather is an enabler because he just so happens to make a, a loving out of sex. So 
there's nothing wrong with you. You've just got a healthy appetite because you're a bigger man. <laughs> and Mark Henry feels a lot better now because he's basically been told what he wants to hear. <laughs> so stupid. But I love it. I know. Why not? It's it's great. Like this this storyline of in jest it's fun right now. It goes in a stupid direction. Like it really fucking 180s on the next episode of SmackDown, which will be coming up uh next week when you're listening to this. But uh this was this was quite fun. And they went was their match next? Uh, no, their match is later on we'll talk about it in a bit. But next up we do have a tag team title match which kind of came out of the blue uh, we have the Hardys challenging uh, the Hollies the, the Hardys on Raw basically officially said that they're no longer the new brood they're just the Hardys Matt and Jeff Hardy they're now managed by Terry they basically along with Edge and Christian beat up Gangrel and it's pretty much you can pinpoint the moment where Gang- Gangrel's career just ends and it's right about there yeah uh, pretty much and um, I quite like Gangrel character and I'm sure the wrestler was fine and I think it was G- uh, Jimmy of Rogue Opinions has spoken highly of uh, meeting and working with Gangrel for mm-hmm. Pro Wrestling and Magic and uh, he seems to be doing quite well I heard him on Edge and Christian's podcast ages ago it's not still mm-hmm. going on uh, talk about how well he's doing these days Gangrel so good good for him he seems like a nice guy but yeah he wasn't he wasn't long for the WWF. He should have just um, uh, become Blade. Terry <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rons comes out with the Hardys and she's had that much work done. You look at Terry, she looks like a middle-aged like soccer mum whose two young whose two teenage sons are still going through that emo phase. She doesn't try to fight it because she knows they'll rebel more so she just lets young Jeff dive <laughs> off the roof while she dives off the roof while she sits inside has their second glass of Chardonnay. I don't think it was her sons who was having a go for an emo phase. I think it was a, a husband or ex-husband who kept getting covered in paint. Who's <laughs> <laughs> perhaps going through a bit of a phase. But uh, I like Terry Reynolds. I wouldn't mind living next door to Terry Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the Hardys and always have a decent uh, match. Uh, no, I think this is... My God, Crash Holly! I I love Crash Holly, and uh, he would go on to do some great stuff with the hardcore title, and uh, then unfortunately left us way too soon. But f- fuck me, how boring is hardcore Holly? I mean, hardcore only, Holly- only hardcore Holly would be so dull that in 1999 he would end a match with a standing drop kick. I mean, to be fair, it is a quality drop kick, though. Like, it's he is great. one of the best kicks in wrestling. And the way he just comes out of nowhere, Jeff kind of springs over a mat, they hit their dolphin and just gets drop kicks right in the face. Yeah, they were going for, I can't remember what they call that corner move. It's got a name, hasn't it? Uh, uh, poetry in motion. That's it. It goes for poetry in motion where Jeff uses Matt as like a springboard to hit a corner, corner side drop kick thing. And then Hardcore catches him with a standing drop kick and just pins him. Like, ugh. Ugh. Right. I, I like uh, this match to kind of design for. Jeff did some good, like, high stuff, high flying stuff to the outside. Oh, he's got to showcase some of their, uh, the double team moves that they would become famous for. 
and I get why they gave him this match because like they had the whole thing of them winning the, the Terry Invitational Tournament. It's this big showcase. Basically, them being paired with Terry is meant to mean big things for them. So it makes sense they would put them at a tag title shot. But like, I don't get them having the big moment at No Mercy and then within a week they're rushed into a tag title shot with no build and then just lose cleanly. Yeah, they're not the finished article yet. And I, I get maybe the Holly... I like the Holly's like, I'm a super heavyweight thing. Mm-hmm. I do think it's funny seeing Crash Holly come out with a load of <laughs> with his own scales and stuff, um, which I think is very a la Chris Jericho in WCW, isn't it? Didn't he do that at one point? Yeah, he came, uh, when he was a cruiserweight champion or something, I think. But it's just hardcore Holly is so dull. Uh, yeah. He's so, oh, he's so, he's beige, isn't he? He's what would happen if the colour beige became sentient. <laughs> like, but the Hardys, the Hardys aren't quite, the Hardys aren't, they're not there yet in this timeline. But you are right, it's weird to give them Terry Runnels, give them the big win at No Mercy in the first ever tag team ladder match. And then just to come out, get a title shot, which I get because they just won the Terry Invitational Tournament, you've got to try and give that some stakes. So they get a title shot, but then they lost so easily when they looked like they were really in control and it was like drop kick, one, two, three. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you are right. Holko Holly does have an awesome drop kick. Ha- looks like he's a great athlete. Him, Maven, and Randy Orton. <laughs> drop <Yeah>. kick kings. <laughs> the, uh, I, I think I said this in a previous episode, but I'll say it again here. Like, talk about how bland a big example is this this super heavyweight gimmick is maybe for started by hardcore and continues with him and Crash but it just shows how much more charismatic Crash is than hardcore eventually the best thing that hardcore's ever done was taken off him and given to Crash yeah and it gets his boredom gets even worse next week when he sat they put him on commentary and they only, they only make him talk <laughs> yeah like, so, what's going on? I mean, Crash isn't the best talker either, but like, he just sits there and with a wee stupid looking face and like, <laughs> wee stupid looking face. <laughs> but uh, it, I'm glad that uh, it's nice to see kind of early Hardy Boys stuff, especially considering on at the time recording on SmackDown in a real timeline, Jeff Hardy's got a big return coming up on SmackDown. Matt Hardy's obviously doing great things in uh, AEW with his broken universe. So it's weird to see kind of to then suddenly go back to 1999 and see where they were at. Mm-hmm. And then comparing it to today and you're like, Jesus, these guys are still going. Like, other than who's still wrestling who was on this show? Like, I said about in the ladder match, it's weird that... Uh, like oh, yeah, Edge, Edge, Edge return, the Hardys are back. Like the fact that Gangrel we mentioned works with Jimmy and with some magic. The fact that Gangrel is more active wrestling wise nowadays than Christian is something I think. Yeah. it's weird. And it's obviously one of the things where, unfortunately, injuries are a very real thing in this in this sport. But I don't know. Next year, WrestleMania is hopefully, fingers crossed, and touch wood, is going Hollywood next year. If all of this craziness is over, maybe the great one. He, he's very Hollywood. Him and Kevin Hart against <laughs> John Cena and um, 
uh, I don't know, uh, Amy Poehler. Let's, let's go. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, backstage, we cut to Big Show. They claim that Big Show's been looking for a boss van all night. Like, no, you're sit- you're in the same dressing room we saw you before. It looks like you've just been sitting there. Yeah, all you've, done is, all you've done is get changed. <laughs> and he just yells, where is he? And just pulls a, draw- a-, a shelf off the wall. Yeah, like he's going to be hiding behind the shelf or underneath the shelf and he just didn't see him. Oh, this is the this is the pits, isn't it? The uh, boss band comes out through the crowd, and I think the a line that best sums up boss band's uh, run at this point is said by Waylon Smithers, and he, that he's crossed the line from everyday villainy to cartoonish supervillainy. He has become a cartoon character, hasn't he? Like, yeah. and uh, I think Big Boss Man is great. And uh, I, I quite recently watched the jailhouse match that he had with the Mountie at <laughs> SummerSlam 1992, which was a ton of fun for as stupid as that as that sounds. But this is this is a very very different Big Boss Man, and it's a very very stupid Big Boss Man. <laughs> like, you remember he had that feud with a, a, a former convict who basically implied that Boss Man beat up him and other inmates when he was in the jail and basically like Bossman appeared as no he's a liar he's like he was sick and basically Bossman was the face of that feud I think years later everybody's realised that Niels was right yeah I think Niles was probably right and mm-hmm. I think that's why that's why Niles went so mad and beat up that old man but, uh, <laughs> but uh, this is this is very this is stupid yeah Just you can be so <laughs> you can sum this up as Bossman does basically what he did on Raw and the GTV thing where they flag uh, Big Show for crying uh, and just keeps yelling, that's funny, that's funny. Like, I think he's basically, he's doing his best to basically yell at people, hate me, I am a sick person. As Big Show comes out, Bossman just leaves the cop to get killed by Big Show and runs to the crowd. Oh my God, and when we say Big Show killed that cop, there is a reason next week that cop did not come back. And it was that, <laughs> that final choke slam. Like he hits three choke slams on, and the cops like he's probably quite a big guy, but to Big Show, obviously he looks like an ant. Like <laughs> couple of decent looking choke slams, but that last one, he planted him right in the back of his head. <laughs> I was still like, oh Jesus! But to be fair, he did he did lie about his dad dying, like, <laughs> which is again we have to say this is a wrestling show. This is uh, this storyline sucks, and I know, unfortunately, Scott, you've got a lot more weeks of it to come. Uh, but this is the worst, and it, it's stupid. It's completely tasteless. There's no like, there's heat for heat's sake, and like just trying to get Boss Man over as this like heat magnet. But he's not because you're just you're just doing shit that's kind of too far out of the scope of what wrestling's meant to be like wrestling can be as cartoony and as weird as you like but to just come out there and just bring like real life things like cancer and people parents dying it's just it stops being fun yeah because I think the thing with this is they, they, this is a thing where they talk about so heavily about shades of grey and like People will act like dicks and act, do things that usually a heel would do, but still get cheered for it. 
So somehow for someone to be an actual, actually hated heel, people need to go really out there. Like, you had Jeff Jarrett basically going to extremes to get over his whole I hate women gimmick. And then you have Val, you have, uh, you have Bossman basically trying to make him so like the sickest person, maybe still like laughing at people dying in order to be an actual heel in this time period. It's, it's yeah, good. yeah, it's tough, and it, it, I know it's it's obviously tough now in the quote unquote reality era because everyone just wants to know all the real life things about people, but some people still manage it, like because mm. they're actually just good at it. Like if you let them be themselves, like MJF or the Miz when he's on top Miz form is completely mm. insufferable, probably because those guys are actually kind of dickish in real life. But but like then you just got completely unnecessary things like like this. Or a more recent example is uh, before he was John Moxie, Dean Ambrose doing the promos about Roman Reigns, who actually had leukemia. And using that to try and get heat. So, n- no, it's wrestling supposed to be fun. And that's yeah. not, it's not fun. It's not funny. No one's getting anything out of it. And it kind of just makes you want to not watch. Because you're like, this is so tasteless and dumb and stupid. And who's getting anything out of it? Is Big Show a bigger star because this happens? No, not really. Is Boss Man going places because he's done this? No, he's... he's why why would he you're not going to put this guy in your main event and then they do <laughs> but, but, but it's still i just see it's it's just stupid and it's probably something that everyone involved kind of regrets uh, i don't know how else they move on now i'm just i'll just like say just move on to the next thing uh Ethan, have you got the time is it vader time no uh, it's time once again for everybody <laughs> to come, come aboard. aboard the whole train. Bow, 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 bow. The guy who, someone who I've really become more fond of as a character in the last few weeks, I'm mean, going to do this again, is uh, the Godfather, who I should mention before, after being on such a hot streak, of such an unbeaten run. A streak comparable to the Undertaker that stretched all the way back to the previous <laughs> week's Raw. Uh, the, the Godfather's run came to an end with a match against Viscera on Raw, where he sadly lost to Viscera thanks to interference from Midian. And uh, myself and Carl were really enjoying the, the really hot run and top form that the Godfather was on. That I, I, I felt the need to let Carl know personally and basically break him if he listens to this review and tell him what happened and uh, I would like to read you this uh, Facebook message or exchange <laughs> that happened <laughs> I sent uh, Carl while I was on this sad news pal the raw after no mercy the Godfather's legendary streak came to an end followed by several crying emojis uh, Carl sent me back a gif of a man crying and saying he's not going to get his sleep now and I said sorry uh, Blaine Viscera, he said, for fuck's sake, of all people to end the most legendary streak of all time, where's Kevin Nash when you need him? <laughs> oh, this, well, look, you know what? The Godfather showing the right attitude for what happens when you get knocked down, you get right back up. 
it's like Alfred in Dark in the Dark Knight or whichever one it was. <laughs> what happens when we fall down, Mister Godfather? <laughs> we brush ourselves off and grab another condom. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, bit dominant, dominant win for uh, for uh, the greatest tag team of all time that I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah, the Godfather recruits uh, Mark Henry as a tag team partner to get some revenge on Vistar and Midian. You really don't really need to talk that much about it. Uh, it's a, a very, very quick match. The Godfather in that win with a whole train followed by a big splash from Henry. <laughs> and Henry basically gets swarmed by the hose afterwards, much to his delight. I love the word Godfather goes for the whole train. Everyone just goes ape shit, And you're just like, this, it's basically... Like, Sting must be watching this and going, why don't people react like this to the Stinger splash? It's because you don't have that really hose Sting. <laughs> I also love that uh, King needs to, feels the need to make train noises when he does that. <laughs> it's, so, it's so great. The Godfather is he's such a, he's such a uh, stupid, ridiculous, cartoonish character. He was the exact thing like kind of vibe that I needed after watching the stupid other storyline that's going on. And then just to hear the start of that music, he'd down, 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 down. I was like, yes, we are back. Smackdown is back. (laughs) We could do for quite frankly, like maybe you can't do it these days, but I think we need some kind of nonsense Godfather like character these days. Why not? (laughs) Like I know we've got our truth for a lot of comedy, stuff now i think we need more just completely insane characters i mean as far as hints go i mean godfather is the nicest pimp you'll ever meet (laughs) he is great and he's very upfront he's all about profit you know that that's a good that's a good business model no wonder he runs a a very successful gentleman's club as jr (laughs) calls it in in las vegas these days well not not at the moment because all those those hoes should be at home which is where you should be if you're listening to this uh, this was match of the night, best match of all time. I'm glad Midian. I'm glad Midian wasn't naked. Uh, well, uh, what's interesting is in a recent, like in the Dark Side of the Ring episode about the brawl for all, he revealed that he used to work in as a bouncer in nightclubs, and uh, sometimes pimps would come in, and he basically hated pimps. And he said that basically he'd come in and say like, "Are there any pimps in here? If you're not out within five minutes." You're getting knocked the fuck out. <laughs> so basically, he hated the people that were behind the gimmick that would make him basically the most money in his career. So basically, he knew where. Basically, he drew inspiration from his actual, his real life when he came to playing a pimp. <laughs> yeah, I'm. You know, I'm. I know he's not the greatest wrestler of all time, but I'm glad he found a gimmick that worked so he actually got something because he had to go through some shitty gimmicks and he always just seems like quite a nice guy when you hear him interviewed mm-hmm. like Charles Wright like he had Papa Shango which is a, it was a crap gimmick and also he had the the complete miscue at Wrestlemania 6 uh, uh, hey, my bad and uh, in, in the main event where and uh, then he had to obviously do the the karma stuff. So I'm glad he found something that that worked for him because he always just seems like quite a nice guy. And uh, I I do think the character is just a ton of fun, even if it's just kind of even if it's a, you don't want to think about it too hard. 
I remember there was a show, I think it was in Scotland, I can't remember where it was, but I remember seeing poster for it at the time. I didn't manage to go to it, but it was a local like indie show and it was advertising both The Godfather and Papa Shango on the poster. And I, and I remember being to be like, I'm glad that I didn't go because like, they are they're the same person. Like, how did, I, I want to know how they told that off. <laughs> was it across like a weekend? So one day was Godfather and one day was Papa Shango? Or was yeah, it like it was, local knockoffs? Oh, maybe it was afternoon and morning? I don't know, maybe he just came at the start. You know what I want to think? I like to think that he was Papa Shango, and then, like Superman in a phone booth, some hose <laughs> surround him, <laughs> and he spins around, and suddenly he's the godfather. <laughs> why, then, why he didn't get to do like what Foley did with three pieces of Foley <laughs> in a Rumble match? <laughs> yeah, that's when you need like uh, that Sue Young from Impact to be one of his hoes, and that's when he becomes Papa Shango. <laughs> I don't know what you'd call the side team of Mark Henry and, and uh, Godfather. I remember for in '98 for a couple of weeks, Godfather formed a side team of Val Venus, which apparently was offhandedly referred to as supply and demand. Jesus. <laughs> um. I guess you could call it the same thing, but it's supply for a very different reason. <laughs> Maybe you could call it addict and dealer. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but there's a really funny pun somewhere in there, so someone could let us know what it is at rogue underscore opinion. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll move on to the main event of the evening. Val Venus versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. And there was a point where Val was trying to work over Austin and they mentioned that probably that he got hit by the, the sledgehammer at No Mercy and he says that Val should really be tackling the ribs, attacking the ribs of Austin. Like, you can really go after any part of Steve Austin at this point. He's, he's yeah. pretty much fucked at this point. His knees, his neck, he's fucked. Yeah, pretty much. Like, we just... Just hit him anywhere. The guys, you know, hit him where it hurts the most, uh, which is kind of obviously beer related. So just start hammering him in the liver. <laughs> and I think you'd probably you'd probably win. This this match, I uh, I don't know. Did you? I thought this was really boring, but it wasn't like it wasn't a bad match. I think the problem was I never believed Val Venus was winning. Yeah, I think the believability really played a part. And I mean, for the first five or so minutes, Val got very much, very little to nothing in terms of offense. Like, Austin pretty much barred him to start with. Val had a, wee, a bit of a flare where he basically worked over Austin before Austin inevitably made his comeback and, like, hit the stunner. The most interesting thing I noted down about this match was a couple of signs in the crowd. One says, uh, Val is a virgin. And the second sign says, Huey Lewis rules. <laughs> is that Huey Lewis in the news? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Why would you go to a wrestling show? That's <laughs> so weird. But, uh... he, he needs to go to this show and let, me, let as many people on UPN know about the power of love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I think part, part of the problem, is, inevitably part of the problem with doing these retro shows is uh, I know what happens at Survivor Series. That was always going to be part of the problem of watching these Smackdowns in the build-up to a show where I know what happens. But the other thing 
was I just I I still I'd never really thought Val Venus should be there, even taking away the fact that I know what happens. I just don't buy the character in this spot. Mm. Uh, but I don't think the match was overly that bad, and I think Austin gave a lot to him. Like that was Val Venus got a lot in, like he got all all of his greatest hits into the match. And they didn't have a terribly bad match considering how rough of shape Austin is probably in at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was serviceable as a main event and the crowd seemed to super be into it and they seemed to enjoy it. And I do think Val got some, he got some good kind of heel reaction as well, even though it was the third time we've had to see him walk out. It, I, mean, I get why Austin, like they wanted Austin on the show. Like this is, if you're not, if you don't count like the pilot they had back in April, where he was in the the main event tagging with the Rock, this is technically Austin's first, not only singles match like on TV since SummerSlam, but also his first match on SmackDown since SmackDown really started weekly. Oh really? Blimey. Yeah, yeah. He's made appearances, obviously, like surprise appearances. The people obviously would be tuning anyway to see Austin, but I think the average actually putting Austin in a match is again a thing for ratings and. He's still like a big draw at this time, but yeah, maybe that's think... why he got the main event slot because they could be like, oh, it's Austin's first match on SmackDown in in ages coming up next. Like, but they never really said that on commentary, so maybe they didn't want to acknowledge it too much. But um, I didn't, I didn't think this was bad. I don't mean to sound super negative about it, but uh, I just didn't really buy Val Venus being there. But it is nice to see a Steve Austin match. I've not watched. Steve Austin match for a, a long time. So, and obviously when the glass breaks, everyone lost their shit, mm-hmm. which was which was great. And obviously Austin winning is the right decision. Yeah, and then obviously Rock and Triple H, basically yeah. very much similar ending a Raw where Rock and Austin basically get involved, and there's another big scuffle to end the show. Yeah, you need another brawl at some point. Like we don't get enough brawls. <laughs> yeah, there's always another one lurking around the corner. Exactly, and I think this show did achieve what it was meant to achieve, which was the build, which was entirely to build Survivor Series. Although they didn't announce anything else for the show. Yeah, I think we're only like we think about like three or so weeks before the show, so I think the uh, the fact that they've already announced the main event, I think they can it probably would have been sold out in advance then because most shows were like sold out. The yeah. Atlantic people moved so hot that they didn't need any match. But I think given this match is really all they needed at the moment. And plus with the virus series, especially at this period, a lot of the traditional series matches were always thrown together. Really. Yeah. So I don't think they needed to build that match that because a lot of people would stick to series match, but I don't think it really mattered at this point who was in it. Yes, it's a real stark contrast to uh, how things operate these days where really we would know most of the card already. Mm-hmm. And then it would just be like, like we'd be due a contract signing at this point, <laughs> or something like that, like because we don't get enough of those. And uh, but I think it, this show definitely achieved it. It made me interested in the main event. Yeah, like I think in the main event as we know it, it's kind of thing. So I think it did a, did a good job on that front. And uh, yeah, I think it was an okay main event. Yeah. It was, a, it was a decent enough show, and we went quite long talking about this. And so, Jason, before we go and start the plugs, 
I know you've had some mixed thoughts with like, like the Valvius and then the, the big show storyline, but where would your thumb be for this, uh, for this show? Up, down, in the middle? Yeah, I'm going to go for a thumb in the middle. Uh, there, it was a show of real ups and downs, so I'm going to start with the ups. I really enjoyed the Mark Henry Godfather stuff for all of my sins. I thought that was kind of funny, even though the character Godfather is probably a little bit tasteless. I like the Test and uh, E&C stuff. I like seeing the Hardys in kind of their early timeline, even though Harker Holly is super boring. Uh, I thought Triple H Al Snow was pretty good. Uh, and yeah, so uh, and the Foley promo at the start of the show, obviously. Mm-hmm. What I then on the flip side, obviously, had the big boss man, big show storyline that's just trash. The fabulous Moolah May Young, like, God bless them, but why were they there? And mm-hmm. I think believability was just a bit of an issue with some of the opponents. Now, maybe that's in the context of the time that I'm watching this, where I've seen these guys' careers already, or but I can't kind of shake that off, to be honest, even though the crowd was super into it but i do think they got they got what they wanted out of the show which was obviously setting up the survivor series main event that was the entire focus and i didn't get to see kane i know <laughs> um, uh, like it was random like that kane and xbox weren't on the show and i'll take an excuse to see kane but like it just seemed weird that they weren't on the show because they were kind of they've been appearing on both shows quite regularly over the last few weeks so yeah, I was going out, but I'm thinking thumbs in the middle as well because, like, I, I gave it a thumbs in the middle to the last episode of SmackDown, but I don't think this is better or worse than that. Because, like I said, there's a lot of things. Like, I liked Al Snow, and there's some decent stuff, and, like, tag wise. But again, like, I did not need to see Miller versus Mae Young. Like, I wasn't too bothered about the main event, and I wanted more from Rock Mankind, so. I think um, Sons of the Middle is a decent rating to give this episode for what it was. Yeah, and I think it it, it was entirely set up for what's to come at Survivor Series, So, but there was so much just kind of bleh on the show. But I, I didn't... One thing I will say, I didn't find myself bored at any point, other than looking at Harker Holly, but I didn't <laughs> find myself properly bored at any point. Like, I was kind of into most things. But there's also just weirdly I noticed it more when I watched the second episode of Smackdown there was just a lot of people missing like from the show like there was no mm-hmm. Jericho there's no Kane there was no China which I think you already mentioned at some point um, so so there was some of the people were missing which maybe lends into the fact of how they reused so many people yeah like I think they're really setting up Jericho like Jericho's getting his first proper storyline as much as he didn't really like it at the time to like enter to the IC title and like they're really trying to build up China as the IC champion and Ridley like is a set to a future program which will then will have a match at Survivor Series like the fact that there's no follow up or even like mention of it on Smackdown like because if you just watch Smackdown you can't watch Raw and then you turn it into the next Raw where the storyline continues you just kind of think that the storyline came out of the blue that Jericho's now suddenly challenging China. Yeah, but other than that, I think it's just a kind of probably just quite an average show. But I did kind of, I did quite enjoy it. Mm. So I can't yeah, give but, it a thumbs down. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, talking about it and we hope you enjoyed listening listen to us talk about it. Uh, Nathan will be back next week where we talk about the next episode 
of SmackDown and everything that is to come there. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this. So let us know what you thought of SmackDown or this podcast on Twitter at Rogue underscore Opinions. Uh, you can take it back to the archives of uh, the older episodes of the Retro SmackDown review. Uh, no Mercy in 99 review. Myself and Carl is up now. Uh, we've got quizzes like with myself and Nathan or victory is the unholy island. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What a team. I know. Uh, we've got a Facebook page now, Facebook uh, forward slash Rogue Opinions 20, where you can kind of join our Facebook group and have discussion with us and other like, I mean, people about all sorts of topics. Uh, Nathan, uh, where can people find you? Do anything else you want to plug? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Nathan Greenaway. Other stuff we got going on, the Naked Men podcast with me and Ben trundles along week on week. Uh, last week we discussed uh, some of your most loved fictional character- characters in TV and film that perhaps should actually have gone to jail for the things they have done. Uh, and there's some there's some good plans coming up as well. And I think one thing we can plug, it will come eventually, but the second episode of Master Debaters is in the works. Me mm-hmm. and Scott will be joined uh, by a rotating third whilst Jimmy is unfortunately stuck dealing with dealing with people. We're worried about Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, yeah, we've just got some fun quizzes and stuff coming out as well. And also check out the website. You can find a link on the Twitter. Uh, again, that's rogue underscore opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Scott McLeod nineteen ninety six. You can check, you should check out the quizzes we've been doing. We did uh, a singles one where it wasn't kind of teams recently, and uh, we've got some plans to do more quizzes in the weeks to come. I think it's just a fun way for us to really take our minds off uh, what's going on by just having a fun quiz. Like it's not really about who wins mostly. It's about just like having a laugh and basically looking at where people's gaps in their knowledge are and I think their most recent quiz not a, a lot of us are not very knowledgeable sport wise especially I'm not <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah by the time this this is up that other that second singles quiz will will be already up if, a couple of days ago so do check that out but Scott thanks for having me man it's good to have you on board man and we hope you'll tune in next week where we cover another episode of the uh, Retro Smackdown. Uh, but until next time, we talked about quite a few segments longer than I thought it was, like uh, the greatest partnership of all time with The Godfather and Sexual Chocolate Mark Henry. And since we already played uh, The Godfather's music a few weeks ago, how about we play Sexual Chocolate's music to play us out this week? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think the guy deserves it. Why not? He, he had a bit of an ordeal in this episode, but and The Godfather helped him, so a bit of sexual chocolate for everyone. Get him in the mood. And, uh, and there we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, enjoy the sultry tones of sexual chocolate, and until next time, we'll see you. See you guys. Bye. It's sexual, And I want to give it all to you. Yeah, right on. I'm right here for you. I know it's going to be good to you. Yeah. And I'll tell you why, baby. Baby, it's time.